Well, good morning, church. If you need to grab a Bible, go ahead and grab a Bible. There's some on this lamp over here to your left. There's some on the back, and there might even be some under some chairs around you. Open your Bible to Luke chapter 12, verses 1 through 12 is what we're going to go through. Yes, we, la- we made it to chapter 12. It's only taken a year and a half, but that's okay. Hey, I, I was feeling like, man, we need to speed this up. And then I realized there, there's a couple of churches I've come across. They've been going through Luke for two and a half years. We're not going to be in it for two and a half years. Only like a year and a half. So welcome to Church Project. I mean, we believe that the Bible, everything, everything comes out of this Bible. Um, one of the things I love about just even our setup and the way that we structure church is, you know, we want to make sure we, us, We are a people that know how to read the Bible. We want to make sure that we, each and every one of us, know the importance of the Bible. And we want to know that each and every one of us, if we've asked God to come into our life, the Holy Spirit is there teaching us His Word. And so the beauty of that is you can sit down with this Bible, you can sit down with this Scripture on your own. Tonight, tomorrow, whenever it may be, and the Holy Spirit will guide you into some pretty amazing things. So church, be confident in that. You don't have to come to church just to hear the word of God. It can be alive every time that you open it up. So there's your encouragement today. Does that sound good? That's a good place to start today. I want to jump into Luke chapter 12 verses 1 through 12. I'm excited about these verses. Um, So follow along in your Bible. Meanwhile, when a crowd of many thousands had gathered so that they were trampling on one another, Jesus began to speak first to his disciples, saying, Be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight, and what you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the roofs. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body and after that can do no more. But I, sh- but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Verse 6. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me others before others will be disowned before the angels of God. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. When you are brought before the synagogues, rulers, and authorities, do not worry about how you will defend yourselves or what you will say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. These are some uh, pretty good verses. These are some verses that sometimes when we hear them, they're a little confusing and they can be a little scary at times too, especially the middle section, verse 10. Read that. It's like, what, what is this? Like this is, these are some great verses that I think today God will show himself to you if, if you allow yourself to. Look at verse 1 right away. There's thousands of people. Thousands of people are coming. Jesus is not a small deal at this point. 
Jesus is a pretty big deal. He's a phenomenon that's happened in this area, and everyone wants to be around him. Look, it says there's so many, a crowd of so many people, thousands of people, that they're having a mosh pit. I mean, they're trampling on one another. And I, and I look at this. Jesus, what, what just happened? Jesus came out from the house, right? If we look at the end of chapter 11. He comes out from being with the Pharisee and having an intimate meeting with the Pharisee. He comes out and there's this just flood of people that are, mock, that are, that are flocking to be around this man. Because what he's saying and what he's doing is so powerful that everyone wants to be a part of him. What I think is really cool. Did you notice that there's thousands of people there? And what does Jesus do? What does he do? He speaks to the 12 disciples that are right there. Thousands of people want to be around Jesus. And he just came out from an intimate setting with, some, with the Pharisee and some teachers. And now he comes out and sees the flood of people that all want to be around him. And he spends time with the 12 disciples. His fullest attention is on his followers. He's saying, this is great. The world's going to be changed. This is great. All these thousands of people, this is great. This is why I've come. But who am I focusing on right now? You. I love you. Jesus is madly in love with you. He left everything for you. Yes, the thousands of people, but he left everything for you. Do you know who Jesus is? I'll just, I'll just ask that right now. Do you know who Jesus is? And beyond that, do you realize how much Jesus loves you? He left everything for you. I wonder if the disciples at this time started to get some kind of swagger. Does anyone know how to swagger? Does anyone have a swagger when they walk? Has anyone got swagger? Maybe Braden or Bryce do. You guys have swagger, yeah? I wonder at this time, yeah, <laughs> Brent's like, yeah, they got swagger. I wonder at this time, man, Jesus, Jesus is the stuff, right? Everyone wants to be around Jesus, and he comes out. I wonder if Jesus looked over at his disciples and noticed that they're starting to get some kind of swagger going. Think, think about it. They're like second in charge, right? I know Jesus. This is the man. Everyone's flocking to be around him. I wonder if Jesus looks over and saw that the swagger started to happen with the disciples. He noticed that, Peter, that's a new hairstyle. Are you trying to show off? Like, oh, man, those are new sandals. Like, they're starting to, now I wonder, I'm, I'm just wondering, you won't find this anywhere in the Bible, by the way, but I, I'm, I'm wondering this. Because if I'm around Jesus, and I'm, I'm one of his disciples, and all of a sudden this thing that started as like, just, hey, come follow me, and I risked everything to follow him, now has thousands of people coming, and he's doing these incredible things. It's almost like, yeah, I know Jesus. I'm one of his followers. And what if Jesus comes out, he sees the thousands of people that want to be around him, and he sees his, his disciples getting a big head. Would any of you get big heads? And notice the teaching. He looks at his disciples and he goes, hey, disciples, I see your swagger. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees because it's hypocrisy. Be on guard. Because even though you're following me, even though I want to be with you, even though you're my disciple, you're learning everything, beware because Satan can come in and he can take your legs out. And he'll do it subtly. He'll start filling you with pride. You'll start getting swagger, saying, look how good I am. Look at what I can do. 
And Jesus knows this. He looks at his disciples and he says, where does your power come from? Not in being around me. Being with me. That's where your power comes from. Church, do we ever think that we deserve things in life? Or here's a better question. Do we ever think that we're above sin? I mean, it's, it's easy to say, well, that big sin, I'll never do that, whatever that is. And we build a fence around it saying, I'll never do that. I'll never cheat on my wife. I'll never, you know, embezzle millions from my company. <laughs> I'll never, whatever. You, it's easy to build these fences around sin and say, we're above that and, and we're beyond that. But I think, I think Jesus looked at his disciples and at this point, he noticed that they were starting to get a little bit of a swagger. They were starting to get a little bit of a big head. And he goes, hey, disciples, beware. You guys beware of the hypocrisy of these Pharisees because it comes in so, so subtly and it can take you out. Church, have you built fences around sins and say, I'll never do that? Little by little, greed will come in and selfishness will come in. Little by little, we'll begin to covet things that aren't ours. Little by little, we'll begin to be unhappy with the things that we have. Our flesh is never satisfied. If we're living for our flesh, it's never satisfied. I remember when our family lived in Mexico. I remember there were times when we would go, and we would cross over into America and we go to a dollar movie theater, and it was dirty. Like, I probably got diseases going there, right? One of those where you wear your pants, and then you throw them away when you're done. No, not that bad. But we would go to the dollar movie theater. Why would we go there? Because they had air condition. I remember, I don't even care what we're watching. I'm just going to go pay a dollar to sit in air condition for two hours. Like, ah, oh, and it was heaven, just air condition. I loved it. And, and, and I remember being completely fine in that. Then we move to America. We may have air conditioning in our house, but that's just, it's not, not quite enough because I want a cool drink with my air conditioning as well. And not that, just that cubed ice, but that sonic ice, you know, that really good ice. Like, so now I have air conditioning, but I have a cool drink with, with my sonic ice. And because I have my sonic ice, I'm going to have to get like a good swimming suit because it's just, it just feels right. Air condition, cool drink, sonic ice, good swimsuit. And because I have that, then I have got to have a nice house that has a pool, right? And so I'm not satisfied with my air conditioner or my ice, water, sonic ice, and a cool swimming suit. Now I need a house that has a swimming pool. And, and pretty soon, I, because I have a house with a swimming pool, and then I must live in a nice area. So I got to start eating nicer food or wanting to eat nicer food. And when I begin to start eating to want to eat nicer food, then I got to learn how to cleanse my palate so I can get the different flavors of the food. And you see where this is going? This is like one of those bad cable commercials that says, you know, hey, do switch from cable or else you'll get beat up and laid under, laying under a bridge, beat up, you know, whatever. It's one of those things. Our flesh is never satisfied. Little by little, Satan comes in and he begins to fill us like yeast and he begins to take over our whole life. And Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's looking at us today and he's saying, warning, warning. Because like the Pharisees, we're not above this. We can begin to think that we don't need God or we're above God or we deserve these things in life. And Jesus is saying, without my power and without my love, none of this is possible. We have to keep our eyes on Jesus. 
I can think of a few instances in my life where great men, great women in my life that, I, that I've looked up to with all my heart, I've watched them get derailed and I've watched things happen in their life where now I, yeah, I can even look at them and I can go, what happened? What happened? You used to be the one leading. You used to be the one loving God with all your heart, with all your being. But what happened? Little by little, the yeast comes in. Little by little. Pride, lust, greed, name it, comes in and starts taking over our life. What happened? Church, if we take our eyes off of Jesus, hell can happen. Hell on earth can happen. When Jesus came, I, it says, I've come to give you life, to give you love. Do you know this Jesus? Nobody has our life all together. Nobody. But yet sometimes says, people will ask us, how you doing? Oh, I'm fine. Just fine. Just dandy. But little by little, hypocrisy is entering into our life. And little by little, we're acting a great part, but our heart's not changed. Jesus sees this in the disciples. He looks at him and says, thousands of people, but guys, keep your eyes focused on me. Keep your eyes focused on me. Hypocrisy is this. It's, it's having a divided heart. It's saying one thing and doing another thing. That's what hypocrisy is. Are we guilty of that? I am. <laughs> At what level are we guilty of that? Just ask God right now. Begin. Ask God to show you some things in your life where you're living with hypocrisy in your life. Just ask God to reveal that to you. Let's move on to verse 2 and verse 3. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. And what you have whispered in the ear of, in the inner rooms will be proclaimed in the highest rooftops. There is no such thing as a secret. I'll just say that. There's no such thing as a secret. Everything will be, will be known at some point in your life. Everything will be known. If you don't believe me, just have kids. Just have kids. Sometimes Zoe and Audrey will say something that Lauren and I were talking about. We didn't think they were listening to. I'm like, how did you know that? Like, right? I mean, we went in a room, turned on the fan, blasted the music, and they still found out. Like, like, how do you know this? If you're hiding anything, it will be revealed at one point in life. Whether at the Bama seat when we're standing in judgment before God and he reveals everything to us in our life. If it's then or if it's in this life, there's nothing that we do, even in the darkest room in a hidden remote place that will not be known by people, by God at some point. But yet we think we're powerful enough to hide these things. And Jesus is saying, there's nothing that, that I don't know. How does that make you feel? Is there anything in your life that, that you're kind of hiding from people? Even from us? You'd be embarrassed if other people found out about it. Is there anything there? Why? What can we do to, be, to help you? And what can we do to begin to process to get these things out? I'll tell you one great place to build relationships is our house churches. Be involved in a house church. I don't know what your schedule looks like, but rearrange it. Make it work so you go to one of our two house churches. 
Because it's at our house churches that you're going to be able to build some significant relationships. We're going to be able to talk about the things that we're struggling with in life. We're going to be able to be honest. And yes, we're going to be able to show up and just have a bland night. Like it's relationships. And that's what we're going for. We want to help each other run after God with all of our being. Galatians 6, 7, and 8 says this. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please the flesh, well, then from the flesh they will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit they will reap eternal life. How are you living? Are you living for today? Are you living by the flesh? Or are you living by the Spirit? See, Jesus knows all things. And as Jesus is sitting here talking to his 12 disciples, guess what? There's even one of the 12 disciples that's there in this passage that probably is feeling a little guilty. Do you know which one it was? Anyone want to take a guess? Judas? What has he done at this point? He's in, he, he's in charge of keeping all the money. And what's he doing to the money? He's embezzling. He's taking some off the top, right? He might even be justifying it. Like, well, Jesus doesn't really pay me. I don't have good health insurance, so I'm going to go, you know, whatever. Whatever his justification was at this point, Jesus is talking to his 12 disciples, and even Judas is there with something hidden in his heart. It's not known yet, but Jesus is saying there's nothing hidden that will not be known. And you know what's cool? Jesus knew that about Judas already. But he didn't say, you filthy rag, get away from me. He hugs him. He loves him. And he wants a relationship with him. There's nothing hidden in our heart that's so ugly and so dark that Jesus doesn't already know about. He knows everything in our heart and he still loves us. So why hide things from him? Why? Maybe you can think of something right now in your heart or in your life that you're embarrassed of. Stop carrying that weight. It's heavy. It will crush you. It will take you out. Even in this place, just give it to God. Say, God, I'm so sorry. I've been living like a hypocrite in this area. I'm sorry I've been trying to hide this from you and your church and your people and others. God, I want you to redeem this in my life. I want you to buy it back. I want you to restore my life. Just ask God to forgive you of whatever that is. And he will. Let's do this. Breathe in his peace right now. Just and breathe out the frustration, the things that we hide, the sin. Breathe that out. Just do that a couple times. This is Jesus. He loves you just as we are. I thank God for that. I know my marriage will be destroyed if I hide things from Lauren. It's fact. I've known smart people, good people. We see them in the news all the time that are found out. They thought they could hide. They thought they could run. And it kicked their tail. My marriage, my family, this church, our ministry, everything can fall apart from the small things that I justify in my life. From the small things. The small things that I hide. And Jesus is saying, don't hide them. I know them all anyways. Just come to me. I love you. Is this good news? This is great news. 
Let's go to verse 4. 4 and 5. I tell you, my friends, I like that. I tell you who? My friends, Judas, the one that's stealing money from me, sinner, ugly people. I tell you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who can kill the body and after that can do no more. But I will show you whom, or, or, but I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after your body has been killed, has authority to throw you into hell. Yes, I tell you, fear him. Don't live to please the people around us. Don't live to please those Pharisees that in this time have all the political power. Don't, le- don't live to please them. Don't live to please the people around us because this is just skin and this is just flesh. But Jesus is sitting here and in these, ver- in these verses he's saying hell is real. Hell is real. It's not like there's, there's some teaching right now called annihilationism. Annihilationalism. It's hard to say. But basically it means this is that when we die we're annihilated. That's it. That's just, that's just it. Jesus says, no, there's a hell. And it is, it is real. I worked at a still mill in Pueblo. Anyone ever worked in a still mill? No? Okay. Well, you didn't miss anything. I worked in a still mill and, and one, once a year, twice a year, we would have to go in and we'd have to clean out the furnace where all this metal, these huge billets is what they were called of, of steel, just solid steel and, and, you know, 18 feet long and however much in diameter. And they would heat them up so they were almost just molded clay. I mean, it was so hot in these furnaces and in these furnaces, pieces of the metal would fall off and it would kind of make a pile at the bottom of the furnace. And so once or twice a year, we would have to cool down the furnace and we'd have to go in and, and with shovels and wheelbarrows, we'd have to get out these the pieces of metal that have fallen off. Hard work. But even after the furnace that had, been, that had been cooling off for at least a week at a time, which cost, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars a day that they would, the company would lose to do this, even after a week of cooling off, we would go in there to clean it off and it was still so hot that we had to wear wooden shoes. And we had to have fireproof vests on. And we had to have uh, 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 those oxygen things on as well. And it was still so hot in there that we could only work it three minutes at a time. We'd work three minutes and we'd have to sit and drink for 30 minutes. It was a requirement. And we could only do that for like two hours. So take it. I mean, we'd work well, like 12 minutes in two hours. And, and I literally would be exhausted for the rest of the day. So hot. You thought you were going to pass out the moment you were in there breathing. If that's anything close to hell, I want no piece of it. I tell you another thing that I want no piece of. If hell's anything like the Legos movie, I want no, I want no piece of that. Sorry if you liked Legos movie. I just it bugged me. So, huh? I'm not a Legos hater. I'm sorry. But Jesus is here, and he's saying hell is rare. In fact, he's making a reference right now to Gehenna. And maybe some of your versions say Gehenna right now. Gehenna is a valley just south of Jerusalem. And this, during this time, was known because this is where people would go to sacrifice their kids. To the god of Molech. This is a place where just south of Jerusalem is a valley. And, and this is where after that people would go and they would dump all their stuff. All the refuse would go there. The dead people would go there. Animals that they were dead would go there. Trash would go there. There was fires burning continually all the time. The stench of death was continually there in this valley. So Jesus is saying, be scared of someone that can put you there. And he's making an illustration Hell is a real place. Hell is the absence of anything good. Hell is the absence of God, love, joy, and peace. 
And God is saying, don't fear people because people can just kill you. Fear the one who can throw you in hell because hell is real. Isn't this an encouraging message? So to verse 6 and 7. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs on your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid, you who are worth more than many sparrows. I think it's cool here that the sparrows, they're the cheapest sacrifice possible. Like the poorest of poor people would sacrifice the sparrows. If you couldn't afford a dove and you couldn't afford a lamb, then you would get these cheap sparrows that no one could eat and you could buy for pennies. And they would throw in a couple extra because they're just so cheap. And Jesus is saying, don't I provide for those sparrows that anyone can afford? How much more do I love you? And then we have a little conflict here. What just happened up in verse 4 and 5? Jesus said, fear me, right? And then what happens in verse 6 and 7? He says, don't fear me. What are you saying? Are you saying, fear me? Are you saying, don't fear me? Proverbs 9, 10, it says this. It's the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. If we fear the Lord, we begin to have wisdom. I think what Jesus is saying in these, in these verse 4, 5, 6, and 7, he's, he's saying, acknowledge my power. Revere him. Revere who God is because he is all powerful. And do you know anyone that can level up and stand up to the power of God? Do you? I don't. No one is perfect. We've all sinned. Revere God. He's saying, revere me. Keep me in my right place. I'm not your homie. We've talked about that before. I am God. I am all powerful. That scares me when I think of how powerful God is. He says, revere me. We deserve to be separated from him. Because of our actions, our thoughts, our sins. We deserve this in our life. And that's scary to think that we deserve the valley of Gehenna. That we deserve hell. He's that powerful. There's 7 billion people on this planet. And God's saying, I know the very number of the hairs that are on your head. I love you. Even more than those sparrows that, by the way, I'm keeping alive. I, God, who have all the power in the universe, love you deeply. If you've grown up in church, you've heard this a million times. And it's easy to get numb to that. It's easy to get numb to how much God loves us. I believe we, be, we start to get numb when we think we deserve more than we already have. When we get the wrong perspective. If we keep at the forefront of our mind. That we deserve the valley of Gehenna. Hell. And God loves us so much that he's given us a way out. If we keep that in mind. We'll never forget how much God loves us. Because we've been forgiven. Redeemed. Loved. Jesus is saying in these verses right here, lift your vision above the immediate and look towards reality. 
Lift your vision above today. Are you getting stuck in the problems of today? Are you getting worn down? Are you getting depressed? Are you feeling defeated? Are you feeling lost? Are you feeling hopeless? Yes, Christians can even feel that. Lift your vision above today and move it on to the reality of what God has called us into. The life that he's called us into. He loves you. He loves me. Psalms 121 verses 1 through 2 says this, I will lift my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of the heavens and the earth. I will look at God, the maker of the heavens and the earth. That's where my help comes from. If we place it in anything else, we place it in stuff that will burn and will perish. If we look at verse 8 and 9, It says this, I tell you, whoever publicly acknowledges me before others, the Son of Man will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But whoever disowns me before others will be disowned before the angels of God. Basically this, whoever acknowledges him, he will acknowledge us. One day, some of us may put on such a good show that we look the part and we stand before God and he says, away from me, depart from me. I don't even know who you are. On the outside, you look good. Just like the Pharisees in the verses before. The outside of the cup looked really good. But the inside was just rotting. And it was just a show. Are we putting on a show or do we love God? Do we acknowledge who he is in our life? Are we embarrassed to him? And I know it sounds mundane and trivial. But even as you go about and as we muse about our day, do we, do we look people in the eye and do we ask God, God, how can I speak life into that person? As, as little as awkward as possible. How can I say God loves you? How can I show the love of God to this waitress, to, to this man, to whomever I come across? How can I acknowledge God in my life to others? That should be on the forefront of our thoughts all day long. God, how can I show your love, the love I'm experiencing, to a world that's lost? Let's get to verse 10. This is a scary verse. And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But anyone who blasphemies against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. That's a scary verse. What's this sin that's so big that you won't be forgiven? The Holy Spirit of God, I believe, will start to convict you in your life. He'll start to show you who He is. He'll begin to work on you. The moment that you completely reject the work of the Holy Spirit moving in your life and say, that's hogwash, that's foolishness, is the moment you've turned your back on God. And that's the moment that we began blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And we said, sorry God, your Holy Spirit means nothing to me. And when we say that, in essence what we say is, remember your son that you sent down to die? Remember that? For me? For my sins? Remember him? Yeah, I don't believe in that either. And the moment we begin to do that, we've lost our only hope. We reject the person of Jesus Christ, who is our only hope. Because he had no blemish. He was perfect. He was without sin. And he died for us, who has sin. And the moment we begin to blaspheme the Holy Spirit and reject the person of Jesus Christ, we have watched our last taxi drive away. Our last ship. Our last hope. We've said, God, I reject you and I reject your son. And that's an ugly place to be because you're without hope. I believe there is a limit to his pursuit. 
of you. I think God's pursuing all of us right now. Even as you speak, this proves that God is still pursuing you. His Holy Spirit is still pursuing you because you hear this message of love and hope. But one day there's going to be a limit to his pursuit of you. There'll be a cease of his pursuit to you. One day he will stop pursuing you. He will have said, you've had every chance to accept me, but you didn't. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit and there's no hope for you. That day may be when you die. And if we have not asked Jesus to come into our heart and into our life and we haven't accepted his love, we've lost the very core of why he put us here on earth. To love us and to live a good life and to give him glory. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're familiar with the Bible, you know the story of Saul turned Paul on the road to Damascus. It's a very cool story. Saul killed all Christians, hated them. Encountered God on the road to Damascus and the Holy Spirit penetrated his heart and he accepted him and became one of the most powerful Christian leaders of all time. In one moment. What would happen if Saul at that moment said, Jesus I do not believe in you. Blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Verse 11 and 12 says, When you are brought before the synagogues, the rulers and authorities, don't worry about how you'll defend yourselves or what you will say. For the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what you should say. The Holy Spirit Spirit will come on and empower us, will lead us, will guide us, and will love us if we're depending on him. Isn't this a feel-good message today? This message hurts, doesn't it? It's, it's, it's a hard one to hear. It's a hard one to give, by the way. But it's the core of the gospel. Have we realized that without God, we're nothing? If we have, we're in the right spot. If we haven't, beware. Warning. Watch out. You're trying to live life on your own, and it's not going to work out. I want to ask us some, some questions just to, just to think about in here. And so if you want to, you can close your Bible, um, shut down your U version. Just let this be a moment between you and God right now where you just really, really seek after him and ask him, God, show me what you want me to learn today and who you are. I want to ask you a question, and this is just simply based off of prudence, just, just human wisdom, okay? And this is the prudent question to ask, okay? Buddhism and, and Hinduism, they're about reincarnating. If I don't get it right in this life, then I'll come back in another life, and hopefully I'll get it better. And hopefully at the end of this whole process, you know, if I'm wrong at this life, next life, maybe the bad karma will get out. And, and pretty soon I'll reach the highest level of enlightenment and I'm there. I've arrived. But I've got multiple lives to try to get this done. Hinduism and Buddhism. So just on, just on prudence alone, just on intellectual thought, just on human reasoning alone, why would you go to that religion first? Why would you go to any religion that says, ah, you can just keep trying over and over and over again? Christianity has the highest 
warning in the smallest amount of time. This is our one life. This is all we got. (coughs) Wouldn't it make sense that we run after God and we try to figure him out? (coughs) If 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 at the end of your intellectual run and at the end of running after God, you find out Christianity is not it, sure, try Hinduism, try Buddhism, try something else. And then you'll have multiple chances to get it right. I would say if you're struggling with who Christ is, I would challenge you to really dig into the Bible and run after him. Try to figure out who he is. I found that he is true. He is life. He's worth my one life that I have here on earth. So if you're a prudent kind of intellectual thinker, I challenge you on that level. Prove prove Christianity wrong. I bet you'll find out that it's right. Here's some questions to think about, church. Excuse me, sorry. If you would, just, just close your eyes and think on these. <coughs> what have you let settle into your life that is a yeast? Is there anything in your life right now that's just, you think it's small, you think it's subtle, but it would be declared a yeast. It would begin to just start running you. If there's anything in there right now, just give that to God. Say, God, here it is. Here's another question along those lines. Are you okay with some things in your life right now that God's just not okay with? Have you justified anything in your life right now that God's like, nah, it doesn't belong there? These actions, these thoughts. If so, give that to God. Say, God, this habit that I formed, this thought, this attitude, this whatever it is that goes against you, I want to give that to you right now. Ask you to forgive me of all my sins, God. Make me new. Break these bad habits I have. Help me focus in on who you are, your life, your love, your everything. God, I want to lose myself in who you are. Just put those things in your hands and offer them to God today. Here's another question. Is your flesh overwhelming you? Coming over you? Your desires? You always want more? You're never satisfied? If there's anything that's starting to overrun your life, anything that's taking place of Jesus and who he is, would you ask God to take that, remove that desire from you and ask God to fill you with himself right now? And I want to ask just the most fundamental question. 
Has Jesus revealed himself to you in your life? I mean, he's met you. He's taught you. You've seen something about who he is. There's a prompting in you. Something where Jesus has just met you where you're at. Has he? And then the most basic question would be, have you accepted that? Have you accepted him? Or have you turned from him? Denying that he's God, denying that his son is perfect and died for us. See, Jesus is calling. He's giving us a chance to give our life to him today in this moment. This may be our last. We're not guaranteed another breath. If you have doubts about who God is, just say, God, help me, please. I have doubts. He is God. He can help you through any doubt, through any sin, through any hang-up, through any habit, whatever it may be. Just give that to God. Say, God, reveal yourself to me today. I give my life to you. I ask you to take control of my life. God, please forgive me of any yeast that I may have, any sin, anything in my life that doesn't line up with you. God, I need you. If you would, let's stand. If you need prayer, Brant and Shannon are up here. They'd love to pray with you. But let's just worship God. Continue to give him our lives in this moment.